You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Rudy Rucker is the author of science fiction novels that include software, wetware, freeware, realware, Freck and Elixir, and Space Time Donuts. His nonfiction includes Saucer Wisdom. He has also written a novel called Spaceland. His latest novel is Post Singular. Thank you for joining me, Rudy. It's nice to be here with you, Rick. Uh, Rudy, uh, we've been talking about a suit that's been filed against CERN uh, by Walter Wagner. He's a biologist with uh, some physics background. And he's essentially trying to stop them from firing up the Large Hadron Collider. The Large Hard-On Collider? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't think we want to stop that. The, the the Large Hadron Collider, he's going trying to stop that. Now, this is not what, what he fears is that, and in fact, they plan on generating a black hole every second with this piece of equipment. It's a, a microscopic black hole. We're assured that these will evaporate instantly. Uh, Mr. Wagner suspects that if that doesn't happen, the consequences could be dire. Dire. Mm-hmm. Well, there's... Uh... Another thing to worry about is the idea that our space is not in its most stable possible condition. It's sort of like a a tall vase of flowers that if you bump it a little bit, it it settles back and stays stable. But if you push it hard, the vase falls over on its side. And this is a notion that our vacuum might be what they call metastable. It is sort of stable, but it could be more stable. There could be a sort of a lower center of gravity it could attain. And uh, there's a science fictional idea that if you do something like build a very powerful collider and sort of pound on space hard enough, you might uh, topple it from its current stable state. And I have a scene like this in my novel Spaceland where they're actually draining energy from space by, they have a new kind of cell phone that has a four-dimensional antenna that's uh, sucking energy from space. And suddenly there's this, uh, the the hero's girlfriend makes one too many cell phone calls. Pop! It was a small sound, clear and distinct. The cell phone had been replaced by a sinister black sphere. The sphere was matte black, so utterly non-reflecting that it looked like a flat disk or even like a flaw on my cornea. It was a hole in space, slowly and implacably increasing its size. Soundlessly, the sphere dug through the tabletop and ate away the side of Jenna's coffee mug. At the bald's touch, matter disappeared like a burst bubbles, rainbows. Objects evaporated like the pictures in a burning reel of film. The ball gave off a vibe of pure nothingness, a vibe that I recognized as death. Well, this is exactly what uh, I think Mr. Wagner fears could happen. Could you talk a little bit about how science fiction so often becomes science fact? It's Most science fiction writers aren't actually scientists, and I'm a scientist of sorts, a mathematician and a computer scientist, but I'm not a physicist. So generally we're sort of just extrapolating, dreaming things up. 
And it would be an exaggeration to say that most of the things we imagine come to pass. Uh, not, not all that many of them. We like to, you know, say, well, Jules Verne, you know, with the submarine, but a lot of the things that we, we think of, they're not necessarily prognostications. They're more like imaginings of how things could be. They're, in some ways, science fiction is closer to surrealism than to futurism. I'm wondering if that these visions of the future, however, they inform the directions that scientists take often, don't they? Well, they do. I think they play the role of, of thought experiments. So we say, what would it be like if we could clone people? Or what would it be like if we had cameras in the sky that could, you know, could read, read the paper in your hands? And we write about these things, and we sort of... Because just throwing out an idea like that, then it just sort of doesn't get the imagination going. But if you put it into a little world that you make up with characters that are doing things and have conflicting agendas... It's, it's a way of sort of seeing deeper into the future. And futurologists do this. They talk about scenarios. Like if you hire a futurologist to try to get your company out of the toilet, they'll say, well, let's, let's imagine three possible futures and let's see what would happen to your company in these worlds. And the difference with science fiction writers is that we're not really focused on helping businesses get themselves out of the toilet. We're more interested in having fun and describing worlds that are interesting to read about. As we, uh, as our technology advances, we're seeing more and more headlines, more and more events that once were actually the domain of science fiction, from cloning to the Large Hadron uh, Particle Collider uh, gene testing. Yes. Could you talk a little bit about how those kind of uh, events, as they come to pass and as we perceive them, do we need do the worries that we have experienced, the scenes that we've seen in science fiction, how do they inform our vision of the present? In a way, science fiction, it's a way of taking a step back from the present. Uh, I think it's been famously remarked that George Orwell's book, 1984, was really about 1948, which is the year that he wrote it. So... It's, we, we sort of turn up the gain and exaggerate the features of the current world. Uh, sometimes people worry that science fiction is running out of things to talk about, but that's, that's just if you're stuck on talking about things that science fiction used to talk about, like moonshots and being in satellites in orbit and things like that. And it's if you always just go back to the present and talk about things like the web or... Uh, or the genomics, then there's still, there's still lots of new stuff to talk about. When we talk about these things in science fiction, there's a kind of a conversation between science and science fiction. And I think that that's where a lot of the general public comes in and looks at something and tries to distinguish the difference between the two, and often it's not easy. Uh, that's true. It's because science fiction is somewhat a matter of illusion and will present these things as if they're very plausible and could really happen. And often we'll know that, you know, we're, we're cutting all sorts of corners. I've worked as a scientist and as a science fiction writer, and if you're trying to prove something in, in mathematics and there's a little hole in the proof, then you essentially don't have anything. And if you're writing a science fiction novel and there's a hole in the logic, uh, no problem. You just bring in some quarkonium or... A, 
a black hole or some antimatter, and uh, and it's all fine, you know. So there's a, it, you shouldn't necessarily believe that things we say are, are likely to happen. If they do happen, however, when they do come to pass, uh, there's a kind of a, a, a visionary uh, cast that's given to somebody who may have just been having fun. Uh, yeah, that's that's nice. We always like it if we manage to get our name attached to some kind of invention. There was Isaac Asimov's famous thing about remote manipulating devices that he called Waldos. I'm sorry, that was Heinlein. And then... Um, and those devices are now called Waldos. And, of course, William Gibson really struck struck a vein of gold when he started using the word cyberspace because that was a very good word for despi- describing the way that a lot of our lives are now lived in this sort of Internet, in this sort of information fog that surrounds us. You might say that cyberspace is just oozing out of all the computers in the world like stage magic fog, and we, we spend a lot of time in it. Uh, getting back to the, the the black hole thing, eating the earth or uh, the strangelets or the uh, metastable vacuum collapsing, uh, I remember discussing this with a physicist, and he remarked that one theory of cosmology is that the universe might be divided into separate domains, sort of like different states with borders between them, and there might be a red state or a blue state, and maybe in one uh, matter can exist, and in the other, you can't have matter. You just have a, a free-floating fog of heat. And uh, I said, well, what if we flew up to a domain wall? and w- What would it look like? And he said, well, the domain walls are always moving, and they move at the speed of light. So you never see them coming. So uh, if, if the Hadron Collider is successful in destroying the world, uh, we won't have to worry about it. It'll be over before you know it. We've been speaking with Rudy Rucker. His newest novel is Post-Singular. Thank you for speaking with me, Rudy. Thank you, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>